If you have a smartphone, chances are you don't answer about a third of the calls that come through. That's because these days they're mostly unrecognizable numbers. Some phones even label those calls as potential spam. But even without those warnings, we fancy ourselves pretty savvy when it comes to spotting a scam. The calls come from random numbers or numbers similar to our own. The caller sometimes has an accent, and the conversation usually kicks off with some kind of life-altering or timely offer. You've hit the lottery, you've won a cruise, or someone has been trying to reach you about, that's right, your car's extended warranty. We're so quick to spot these scams that they don't feel like true threats, but every single day they're successful. And while some follow a predictable pattern beginning with an unsolicited phone call, others take place online and even in person. If you're only looking for the random cell phone call, you might fall victim to the other forms. So in this season of the podcast, we're digging deeper, talking to folks who have lost money, talking to investigators about how they go after scammers, and offering tips on how you can avoid becoming the next victim. Sworn Statement is a podcast by the Collier County Sheriff's Office under the direction of Sheriff Kevin Ramposk, exploring local cases and public safety issues all unfolding right here in Southwest Florida. I'm your host, Christine Gill. Many of us feel impervious to scams because we're convinced that we're able to spot them. But one of the factors we forget is how emotion plays into the equation. Sergeant Brian Sawyer works in our agency's Crime Prevention Bureau. So they're going to impersonate somebody or a company or whatever it may be, and then they're going to use some type of emotion. Uh, they're, They're not going to want you to think about intelligently, what am I doing? They're going to use, it may be fear. Hey, the police are going to arrest me because I miss jury duty if I don't pay this money. It may be compassion. I want to donate money to help out the poor or the sick or whatever it may be. It could be greed. Publishers Clearinghouse Sweepstakes. You're the third place winner. Uh, We need you to take care of some taxes and tariffs up front. And then we're going to be at your house with a Mercedes and a $250,000 prize. So there's always some type of impersonation and there's some type of emotion that's involved with it to get whoever the potential victim is to buy into the scam. Emotion is a common thread in each of the cases that we're highlighting for you this season. And each scam preyed on a different emotion. Fear, hope, and of course love. Romance scams took in record amounts of money in 2020. And the Federal Trade Commission speculates that's because the pandemic forced singles to go online for companionship. Victims of these scams lost about $309 million in 2020. That's up a startling 50% since 2019. At least one local resident was among those numbers in 2019. Just a heads up, none of the names of the victims in this podcast are their actual names. Deborah came to Florida from Massachusetts in 2016, a few years after her husband died. We had four beautiful children. We have nine beautiful grandchildren. And um, everything was good. He was working, you know, everything was fine. He could get into his 60s, and um, he had some issues. He had, like, high blood pressure and some medical issues that were going on. Uh, And then all of a sudden, in early 2000, um, he started to develop symptoms that I thought it was a little dementia. 
going on. And um, the doctors also thought it was dementia. But like I said, you know, he had the high blood pressure and he had vascular problems and all this kind of stuff. So as time went on, I, I could see him deteriorating as the years went on and still asking the doctor, you know, what's happening here. Finally, in 2010, a neurologist diagnosed him with Lewy body disease, which was devastating to me. That was in October of 2010, and he didn't even make it six months. So life was pretty bad for me after that, you know, because I'm alone now. You know, I'm used to having somebody or taking care of him as I did. And um, so I was alone. And I we had a big, beautiful home on Cape Cod. I sold it, went into a small condo, didn't like it. And we had a place down here in Naples, Florida um, that we had bought early in the 2000s. And I said, you know what? I'm packing it in. I'm going to Florida. So I came to Florida, and I loved it down here. And I decided that I was kind of tired of being home alone at night and watching my neighbors go to dinner, and I was lonely. There was no one that I could really meet. I mean, I was a homebody. I stayed home a lot. I wasn't the type to go to bars and clubs and stuff like that. I um, I kind of stayed home. I had a lot of friends where I live now, and we would get together. But, you know, you go out to dinner with the girls, and then it's it's going home again. So it, it, it was very lonely, especially in the winter down here, because a lot of the, your neighbors go home, and there's very few people, and it, it's a long it's a long winter down here. So in 2019, Deborah decided she was ready to start dating again. So I decided to go on um, online. A couple of people gave me some uh, dating sites uh, to go into, and uh, I did that. And uh, got a lot of responses, and this one gentleman just kind of responded, and I thought we hit it off. The man's name was Larry, and he was handsome. He lived in Texas, but was working on Florida's East Coast. After just a few days of chatting, he was itching to meet Deborah in Naples once work let up. I was impressed with his conversations, you know, and, um, you know, I, I thought, well, you know, this could be something. You know, he was just giving me all kinds of stuff, you know. I really like you, and so on and so forth. And, of course, being very vulnerable, I fell into that. During their conversations, Deborah learned all about Larry's work, including a new opportunity he had to oversee a major construction job abroad in Cairo, Egypt. And I thought, well, gee, that's kind of strange. You know, but okay, I'll go along with it. Mistake number one. So he... Um, went to see this gentleman, and he put a bid in for the job. And then he had a, a couple of days later, he called me, and he said, they just called me, I've been awarded the, the job. He said that he was flying out to Cairo, Egypt. So he got over there and said that he had arrived, and he was going to the hotel. And then everything kind of went downhill from there. But he was probably there two days or so. And he sent me a text and told me that the um, supply place that supplies his lumber and stuff would not accept his ATM card or his charge card. 
So he said that he needed X number of dollars, and the amount at that time was $2,450. Deborah listened and agreed to help. She wanted Larry's project to work out, and she half expected to be reimbursed. So she offered to pay. Larry asked Deborah to send the money order to a woman. Um, why it went to her? I have no idea. And why didn't I question myself back then? I don't know the answer to that either. With Deborah's money, Larry was able to proceed with the job, but he still had to get straight with his bank. On his way back home to ensure financing for the project, Larry told Deborah he was accused by the client of not completing the work they had paid him for. Larry told Deborah he needed more money to purchase additional supplies and hire new workers to complete the job. When Larry asked Deborah if her friends would help by co-signing a loan, Deborah refused. Instead, she once again offered to send her own money. This time, a moneygram in the amount of $1,100. I then received a text from a translator named Ahmed. Ahmed's telling me that Larry collapsed at the airport and was admitted to the hospital. The name of the hospital was Air Force Specialized Hospital, Cairo, Egypt. The translator said Larry needed surgery on his arm. Therefore, I received a text stating the doctor is requesting now $4,800 to do the surgery. Once again, Deborah was called upon to rescue her new beau, a man she had yet to meet but trusted fully. She got the money and sent it to a woman in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, who was going to pay for Larry's surgery. Finally, Larry was able to recover and head to Germany for the next phase of his project. All he needed was a bit of help switching his airline ticket from Dallas. It would cost $300. Again, I sent the $300. Then Deborah got a text from Larry. Now, Larry was headed to Germany. Larry texted me and he said, there's a problem. Really. In Germany, Larry had a weird situation. He was waiting for his flight at the airport when another man asked him to watch a package for him while he used the bathroom. Larry got caught with the package, which contained some kind of illegal contraband. This time, Larry was in legal trouble. On April 8th, I was contacted by a lawyer. He said he wanted $2,800 to defend Larry. He was now being held at a jail in Frankfurt, Germany. Told him I could not come up with the money and he should get a court-appointed lawyer. After putting pressure on me, I did come up with the money. Once again, the money was sent to a stranger who Deborah had not heard of. And there's a reversal on the name with that, because first I was told I had to send it to a Cliff Allen, and now he's telling me it's Allen Clifford. I pointed that out to him also. He said, oh, that must have been a mistake, and I said, I don't think so. So now I'm getting really suspicious of all this. The request continued. The judge wanted $900 to process Larry's papers, then he needed a thousand euros because Larry was being accused of bribery. Deborah was overwhelmed. In just a matter of weeks, Larry had gone from being her exciting new love interest to a huge burden. He was supposed to contact me as soon as he gets back, and he was going to—he was going to come back to Florida. He said, "I'll fly into Naples." I said, "Fine." Saying all the nice romantic stuff, and you know, thinking, "Oh, this could be good." And uh, I was just. I was taken. Still, Deborah wasn't aware that she was a victim. 
Because even as her suspicions mounted and her losses accumulated, Deborah wasn't telling anyone else about her new haphazard lover. Not her friends, and certainly not her children back up north. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed to let them know that this was going on with me. It's like, you know, what happened to you down there, you know? But I'm here by myself. I have no family down here at all. Deborah might think that she made mistakes, but really, she was the victim of a sophisticated scam. Romance scams take time and energy, and they aren't all the result of an unsolicited phone call. Deborah is also part of a specific segment of the population that scammers have been known to target. Nationally, the highest group that um, report to the Federal Trade Commission scams and frauds are the 60 to 69-year-olds. And that age group also loses the most amount of money. In 2019, according to the Federal Trade Commission, that segment of the population lost almost $200 million due to scams and frauds. Angela Larson is the Victim Services Supervisor for the Collier County Sheriff's Office. She said that there's a few reasons why seniors in this demographic are targeted so often. Some of it has to do with the fact that they're considered less sophisticated when it comes to spotting scams, especially online scams. And part of it is the assumption that folks in this age bracket have a bit of a nest egg built up, meaning if they do fall for a financial scam, they're more likely to have money to hand over. The seniors are targeted, though. They will actively seek out that age group because they think they have more they think they have more expendable money because they've already worked, they get Social Security, they may have a retirement, they don't have the child care issues or expenses, and so they assume that these people have more spendable money and access to it, whether they do or not, and unfortunately, whether they do or not, they still fall victim to the crime. Lieutenant Chad Parker, who oversees the agency's Economic Crimes Bureau, said that makes Southwest Florida a particularly good hunting ground for scammers. And Naples is recognized in the state of Florida as one of the wealthiest, you know, population um, areas or metropolitan areas in the state of Florida. So that that is an extra enhancement for criminals to target. Florida consistently ranks within the top 10 states for occurrences of fraud each year, according to the Consumer Report Index. Identity theft is another major problem. The Naples, Marco Island, and Immokalee metropolitan areas are often among the nation's top 10. But there is a double-edged sword there. So we've had elderly people that fall victim to the scam, but they're, even when they learn about it, they don't tell family because then they think that the family is going to say, well, you're, you're not capable of taking care of yourself. Um, and then they, they fear that their own family is going to turn against them and take away their freedoms. And then, like I said, on the, on, on the other side of the coin is those that are adamant that they're not victims. And, and in that case, it might be incumbent upon a family member to obtain a power of attorney to take control of the finances before they are all uh, given to the criminals in other countries. When it comes to romance scams, Lieutenant Parker said women are more often victims. Criminals are looking for, especially if the person identifies as a widower, that's a that's a flag. The, the uh, suspect will be a good-looking male. Oftentimes they'll take a, a photo of, a, of another person right off of Google Images, type in tall, dark, and handsome male, and, and uh, find a, a picture and use that as their profile page. The scam progresses just like Deborah's did. There's lots of digital communication up front that rarely ever migrates to a phone call. You'll build a rapport, and then the man will run into some kind of financial trouble. It'll come to the point where the uh, 
the male will start having some type of financial issue. Um, but they've already developed such a rapport with you. Oftentimes the, the female victim will say, I, I feel like I, I found my soulmate again or I found true love. Um, so these guys are con artists. They, they really do pull at the heartstrings of, of our victims. A victim might realize they've been scammed if, after sending money, their soulmate stops responding to messages. But in most cases, Lieutenant Parker says it requires intervention from a family member. During the pandemic, scams skyrocketed, in part because seniors in these vulnerable positions became even more isolated. Fewer people were checking in on these individuals, and so-called friendships or relationships forged with scammers went unnoticed. Larson said that sometimes unsolicited phone calls turn into a long-term scam for vulnerable adults. The other tactic is friendship. So we have had criminals call victims repeatedly to build what they consider a friendship or a relationship. So sometimes when I'm working with victims, I have to explain to them the definition of a friendship. It's not necessarily just somebody you talk to over the phone. Do you go out and have coffee with them? Have you met them face to face? Do you know their family? Because just talking on the phone, how do you know who's a criminal? People want people to talk to. So somebody calls and says, oh, you know, I know you're a senior living alone, you have COVID, and just starts talking. Oh, and then they tell the sob story and how bad it is and how they need help and things like that. And it's, it's really sad to be taken advantage of that way. And it is extremely hard to convince people that what we're saying indicates a, a crime. Larson once helped a woman come to terms with the romance scam after she insisted that her online fiance needed airfare for their first in-person visit. I said, okay, well, let me tell you what's going to happen. And I told her, he's going to call. This is what he's going to say. And this is what's going to happen. And lo and behold, why we were there, myself and the detective were there, who calls her? What does he start to say? Exactly what I told her he was going to say. And she in tears tells him, they told me you were going to say that. And she's heartbroken. And that's the one thing too, like with sweetheart scams, the victims put their heart into it. So even though they, she's never met him, she really loved him. She had given her heart to this relationship, although it wasn't a conventional one. I had to respect her feelings too and not minimize that. These long-term scams that play on your emotions and build rapport are harder to entangle. So if I call you and tell you I have an island out in the Everglades, it only costs you $10,000, you know, and there's a great big house on it, and, you know, you're probably going to hang up the phone without any second thought. Um, these scams are tried and true, and uh, they recycle. They know what works, and they've done it for years. So without family nearby, Deborah might have continued to fall for Larry's scam had she not heard from a random Facebook user, we'll call Adam. Out of the blue one day, Deborah received a Facebook message from Adam. Like Larry, Adam also lived in Texas, and he had reached out to warn her. Adam claimed he was Larry's son. Only Larry was not who he said he was. And he said, this guy is a fraud. He said he stole my father's identity. And he said he's... um. You know, he, he's just a fraud. He, you need to stop communicating with him immediately. Adam had learned of these scams after someone stole his father's identity about four or five years ago. Adam knew that even a simple identity theft attempt could be disastrous, so he kept an eye on things. I was. I was more concerned about it. I don't know if my father was just um, naive or, I mean, I've heard horror stories about 
people's identity getting stolen and um for whatever reason he felt confident the guy couldn't do it i did some research and um found out that this guy has a facebook page pretty obvious that his pictures were fake um that they were just like getting they were gotten off the internet and um he didn't have that much posted on his Facebook page, but I did notice that um, the people that would comment or hit the like button were women. Everyone who commented or hit the like button, I sent messages to basically saying just a heads up, this guy's a scammer. He's stealing money from women. Consider yourself warned. Some women replied to Adam, but most didn't. Deborah was one that hopped on a phone call almost immediately. At the time, she didn't seem to believe everything I was saying. If my memory's correct, at the time, she was still communicating with this guy. And um, I'm guessing it took a couple weeks until she finally realized what was really going on. It was a little bit disheartening because I think I... I think I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to hear what he had to say to me. And uh, unfortunately, he just told me everything. You know, he did. I remember that she was afraid to tell her family about what was going on. I kind of nudged her, like, you got to tell them. This, this guy, he's up to no good. Eventually, she did tell her family. Adam estimates that about half a dozen women were being scammed by the same individual posing as his father. At one point, Adam messaged a scammer telling him he knew what was going on. The scammer blocked him. Adam said the whole incident has since blown over for his dad. Things are better for Deborah, too. She eventually told her children about Larry. Her son told a state trooper friend up north who reported the incident to the Collier County Sheriff's Office. We got in touch with Deborah and began an investigation. Deborah said she's recovering from the financial hit. She estimates she lost at least $15,000 in the scam, but didn't track all of the money that she wired to Larry and his friends over a seven-month period in 2019. Deborah's also dating again. This time, the man is who he says he is, and she even introduced him to her children. She met the man, you guessed it, online. I think I was offline for a while, you know, and I didn't really know whether to go back on to give it another shot. But now I felt as though I know the signs. If something like this happens again, you know, it's bye-bye, okay? I'm not saying don't ever go online because it's not a bad situation. What I am saying is please be careful. Please be careful. Just know their tricks. They're going to tell you that they're in love with you. They're going to tell you that they can't wait to see you. You know, you want to come over, you want to stay with me, and every, and everything is glorious. The sun is out, and it's wonderful. But let me tell you, they have a trick in their pocket. All these things are clues, and as soon as they ask you for five cents, delete them. On the next episode of Sworn Statement, we'll look at the challenges deputies face investigating scams once a victim comes forward. But most of the time, the, the criminals will request the funds to be sent via money order or Western Union, MoneyGram. Um, now there's apps like Venmo, Zelle, etc. But it's hard to track and, and make an identification of the person receiving the funds. 
Plus, we'll talk to a local banker who has helped us spot these crimes. I like helping the people get their money back. I love investigating. And it's like, you know, it's just, it's almost like when you find something like, aha, oh my gosh, you know. Sworn Statement is a podcast by the Collier County Sheriff's Office, exploring local cases and public safety issues all unfolding right here in Southwest Florida. It is produced, written, and recorded by me, your host, Christine Gill. Listen on SoundCloud or wherever you find podcasts.